Sylvia, we're just so grateful you're here today. This is such a perfect, I think, um, topic for our time and to have you and Denise on at the same time. I feel like I've got the dynamic duo and I need capes for you. Or <laughs> um, well, like, I'll tell you, I, I'm so grateful and so thankful, you know, that you all reached out and Denise is my kindred spirit. I, I love her dearly. Well, we would love to hear, Sylvia, we're, we're kind of kicking off our conversation around um, what we're seeing as these major challenges facing our students of color, um, particularly okay. this year, given, you know, COVID. Um, lots and lots of concern about uh, the number of students we're not seeing come to our campuses. You know, I work at a community mm -hmm. college, um, and, and I know the community college sector is particularly concerned about that. Um, so we'd love kind of, Denise has shared some of her thoughts around the concerns about mental health issues um, that, you know, continue. I mean, every week there are multiple articles. I always think of Denise, because I'm reading, you know, so much um, in our higher ed world um, and multiple articles around uh, mental health concerns for our students. But what would, what would you say are kind of the major challenges you're seeing facing our students um, of color? You know, Fantastic. I'm, I'm logging on now in a video mode, so I think I can see you all now. Okay, you're looking better than me. Now, come on. I just got threw my shirt on. and. <laughs> okay, I believe to see you. I'm hanging up from my phone, so I'm not doing double. There you are. We see one of you and we hear one of you. Okay, perfect. Fantastic. So um, thank you again for the opportunity. And uh, Meg and, and Denise, thank you so much. Um, if I can, I, I've kind of been thinking about this over the last uh, month or so when you asked me to do this. And um, I'd like to kind of start with some thinking, some framework of thinking, if that's okay, Meg, if you'll. Yes. Okay, great. Um, when we think about 2020, you know, we think about what we went through and uh, Denise has heard me share this before, but 2020 was the year of the peas, if you will. You know, it was the year of the pandemic, the policing, the presidents, PPP, PPE, plywood, plexiglass. Who would have thought that plywood and plexiglass would become part of our lexicon of what is a must have in order to make sure our schools are safe for our employees. And oftentimes people talk about faculty and faculty are, are important, no doubt, but we must remember the subsystem impact of everything. And the subsystem impact is we have custodians that make sure that the faculty can get into the rooms. We have tutors that make sure that students who are supported need that. We have admissions and record staff. We have all kinds of people that make this engine run. And so when we think about 2020, we have to put into the framework of all those things that became part of our lexicon. And so when you talk about our students of color, when we think about moving into 2021, all of those are things that greatly affect them. Can you imagine going up to a teller, a bank teller, uh, years ago, when I say years ago, I mean like in the 1940s, it was always a bar between the bank teller and, and the, the patron. Well, that was done away with years ago. Now we're at a place and our students are seeing plexiglass that separates them. So when we talk about a human connection. Then we talk about policing and what was happening during the 2021 and still happening today, 
People are talking about Black Lives Matter. We talk about that and, and having to explain what does Black Lives Matter mean to people because uh, people don't get it. They think that all lives matter. Well, of course, all lives matter. But what we're saying is once we address the, the disproportionality and the um, discrimination and all these other things relative to students of color, black, black lives, we will address it for everyone. It goes back to the notion of universal design. When we design our school systems and our services to ensure that students with uh, uh, learning different differences, not difficulties, but differences, uh, have access the same way everyone else does through the universal design framework, then what we've done is we've made sure that everybody does. So when we say everybody has a right to an education, of course they do, but we have to make sure that students who have learning needs or challenges learning differently, they have full access just as well. So when we think of students of color and what's happening to them, we're, we're, they're having to grapple with things that other people aren't necessarily having to grapple with. And when I think about students of color, I, I want people to look at the whole palette of our world. And if you, when you think of being on the spectrum of, you know, black, darker skinned, African-American, all the way over to, you know, Indian or different descent where people make judgments about you based on your color, you know, our African-American students struggle with that piece and they're having to figure out what is it that I, how do I move through this world that I'm entitled to just like everyone else? Um, uh, so as we move through this year, 2021, I'm hoping that we can change the, the alphabet to be L, love and, 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 and uh, leadership and listening to people and, and understanding so that we start to really take shape of the lessons we have learned in 2020, 2020, we move them into 2021. And so what do I see that are some of the major challenges that are facing our students of color? Probably the first one that sticks in my mind, and I know Denise will echo as well, and that is adequate and equitable resources. And so when we talk about what are adequate and equitable resources, I wanna, I wanna take you through a framework of thinking when, uh, uh, almost a year ago, coming March, when the world shut down, when the United States shut down and we all went to remote learning, those of us with privilege, and let's talk about, let's be real about it, those of us with privilege looked at remote learning and we went through a whole thinking, well, do I have the right computer? Is my computer fast enough? Do I have enough RAM? Do I have enough a uh, 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 space. If I don't, I can afford to go and buy one. Okay, so let's get the thinking there. Uh, do I have a printer? Do I have the full Microsoft suite? Not the version that is the temporary one for 30 days, but the full suite. Do I have uh, a desk? Do I have the ability to position myself in a space? I mean, you look at my, I'm in my home office right now. So, you know, I get to have a background that I'm not embarrassed to have behind me, but there are students who didn't have that, who don't have that. Um, do I have, you know, tools at my disposal, ink pens, notepads, uh, uh, um, highlighters, all of those things. Those are the hardware pieces. 
Then we talk about the software. Do I have, like I said, you know, the full suite? And if I have a particular learning need, do I have access to the supports that are going to help me navigate? Um, do I have the ability to convert a PDF to a Word document? You know, we, we think about that, you know, you and I can do that. I mean, and if I have trouble, guess what? I can call Denise because Denise can guide me. <laughs> but, but I have peeps, if you will, that can help me. I have resources. I know people that can help me through this piece. Now, take all of that and put yourself in a student of color. Our students of color, all students, were told, go online. We're going online. Not how do you go online, but to go online. And so when you think about the how do you go online, we're thinking, how do I log on? Okay, well, yeah, people have had access to you know, online tools, but most faculty weren't even using that. Let's face it, there are a group of faculty across the country that were avid online uh, faculty or used online tools uh, to, to educate our students and to work with our students. But there's a whole group of faculty that don't wanna touch anything. I, I'm reminded of my college professor when I was in grad school who came into, the, into my, um, my administrative law class and he had uh, manila folders wrapped around with rubber bands of all the cases that we were gonna be talking about. That was his way. Now, if we asked him to put this up on a platform online so students could access it, he would have vehemently opposed it. And that's what we ran into. So we are running into the fact that faculty don't want to be here. And students understand, they know that faculty don't want to be here. They know if someone doesn't want to teach them. We also have with that the equi equitability of the hardware, the software, the Wi-Fi, all of those things. And then coupled with that is understanding how to do this thing called online college. Mm -hmm. You happen to be a University of Phoenix student, you have, and there's some great models, and I, I pull out University of Phoenix, but Southern New Hampshire, there are a number of colleges that understand how to do online learning. But those are students that have chosen to do online. We have students, and we've heard, we've heard reports, and Meg, I'm sure you have as well, where students are dropping out because they didn't sign up for this. Asked to be an online student. I don't know how to do this. Now what you're asking me to do is to not only have the hardware available, so there's an equity issue, the software available, which is an equity issue, a place to do online a place, a room where I'm not embarrassed to show what my home environment looks like. So when you think about students leaving their home to go to school, many of them catch the bus and they're catching the bus with all their other peers. So there's not a whole lot to that piece. But now we're saying, you want me to open up my home so you can see how I live. I have to be exposed. Now I have to be exposed. Imagine what that does to a student to have to show what their living situation looks like. Um, and remember, they didn't ask for this. And so uh, then you have faculty who aren't always willing to accommodate. So we've run into situations, and I'm no, I know you guys have heard, 
where uh, students are being required to have to show their faces online. Well, if I've been in an abusive situation, I just got smacked last night. Why do I want you to see the black? Imagine what that feels like. If I were in school or at a face-to-face class, I could choose not to go to school today. Now, of course, we all have attendance policies, but you know, I, could, I would be willing to forego this attendance today to let my face heal so that I'm not having to, to you know, show my face. Um, so these are, these are issues that are surrounding our students. Then we're, we're talking about how do you have conversations in an environment where I have to expose myself and I have to be authentic. If I'm in a classroom, I can sit in the back of the room and not say anything. And the, the, the instructor knows I'm here because my body is here. Whether or not I actively participate, my body is here, so you have to count me present. Well, we've changed the narrative to what does online learning look like, and we haven't helped our students. Um, when I think about what other challenges our students face, students of color, is um, how do I navigate my life online and my siblings online and my family? I was, I was uh, reminded there's a... There's a new uh, show out with Kira Sedgwick. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the startup of it, uh, but there's this incident where uh, she's talking to her daughter and her daughter says, mom, I'm not going to tell you how the internet works again. And so we're having, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, students are having to learn all these things. The, the other thing that happens is in the, in the school environment, we have incidental learning that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. We have heuristic knowledge that comes to be a part of this part of knowledge by simply being present on the campus, being mm-hmm. in a snack bar where you are listening to students talk about a particular instructor or a deadline that come, came up or something that students have to do, an event that's happening. Uh, being able to spend a minute after class to talk to a professor about something confidential. Well, in a Zoom room, how do you do that? How do you do that? And how accommodating are are faculty with with that piece there? How do you create an opportunity for students to connect with someone immediately, real time, such as a counselor or their, their person, and it's not always a counselor. We think oftentimes that counselors are the main contacts for students in the, in the student services division, but oftentimes it is that front counter person that they know I can go talk to Jane because Jane understands me. Jane's going to relay the message to the counselor or to the dean or to whomever it is, uh, or it might be a particular program like a trio program or something like that where I have I have my person. There's somebody that I can go talk to who will help me navigate this. So what we don't have is the opportunity for that uh, incidental learning and incidental experiences to happen and the whole idea of heuristic knowledge to to take shape. So sorry, I I kind of rambled on with that piece and I hope belabor it. That was, Sylvia, I've taken so many notes and that that last comment that you made about incidental learning, I have been looking for months now 
to be able to put my fingers on what that is as I try to explain it to my students, right? That I, I, there's that, that piece that we can't even really define that they're completely missing out on when they're not able to um, be on our campuses um, with us. And, and I often speak about the importance of who is gonna be your person. That's one of the first things we do in my first year experience classes. Mm-hmm. I say week one, who's gonna be your person? I can be your person. Your, your advisor can be your person, another faculty, tutor, doesn't matter. But you need to find and identify and write down that, that person. Wonderful chats um, that folks are, are putting in about um, resources that they're providing, language that we need to be thoughtful about. This very multi-layered and complicated conversation about camera on, camera off. Um, mm. You know, it is very hard having taught for, a, for synchronous sessions. It's hard to teach to the black boxes. Um, but there's often a reason why there is a black box there. Um, and so how do I acknowledge that and still engage you um, and still um, make sure you have active learning opportunities? Oh, so and Meg, yeah. if I can add that other piece, it's respecting it. We often feel uh, a sense of authority and our authority transcends to our ability to control and to direct. And we need to, when I said, I hope that this year is the year of the L's like listening, we have to listen to our students. We have to take the time to understand what is happening and why, not just that we're upset because Black Lives Matter or, or you know, what happened with George Floyd or, or even say their names. We're not, it's not about having uh, that piece of the conversation, but to understand why. Why is it that you feel this way? What is it that I can do or how can I help you? We oftentimes want to create an experience for a student or an, uh, uh, we'll even purchase products, if, if you will. Uh, much of them costly products, software that a company that has designed something that they think is the end all to be all for a student. But have we talked to our students to understand what they need? And so if I could segue, if you don't mind, Meg, I'm no, kind of I love that. around, so I, I hope you don't mind. Oh, Sylvia, I could just listen to you all day. Is everybody cool if we just do this until like five o'clock tonight, Pacific time? I'm in. I'm totally okay. in. I, I told you, wait till Sylvia got here, because I mean, I was, you know, pinch hitting, but this girl knows her stuff. Um, when we think about what has happened this, this past year, um, this pandemic has been a humanitarian crisis. Education, the lack of education for our students for 365 days is the next humanitarian crisis. When you think about our students not being able to access for an entire year, students of color particularly are going to be impacted because We're already talking about not having the social capital to be able to navigate certain aspects. As I said, you know, if if I don't know how to do something, I've got social capital. I can call, I can call Denise. I talked to her yesterday. Denise, I need something. And I have a confidence that one, Denise knows it, and two, Denise will help me. Imagine the students, imagine your students of color students in an environment where the people that they know are like them. 
the people that they know are like them. The people that they know have what they have. The people that they know go where they go or do what they do. So when you're talking about um, uh, how to address this disproportionality and the affect of what's happening and how students feel, imagine trying to understand how to solve a math problem and I don't know who to go to. It, when, when, you and, when we were all in college, I don't know how many of you did this and I'm pretty sure you all did. And Meg, I'm sure you talked to your students about fun, um, getting um, uh, study groups, study groups, something as simple as a study group, which happened intuitively for me. Um, I didn't have to have somebody show me how to do that because I knew what I needed. But imagine the students that don't know what they need and the importance of it. Because you also have, and I'm, I want people to write this down and to think about it, pride. Pride is a key variable to everything. So how you ask the question, what question you ask, and what you want, how you respond to your students, understand that there's a pride element here. For me to have to come to you to tell you I don't know how to do something, or I don't have a particular resource, that my peers have, the students who are affluent or the students with privilege have, means I have to expose my inadequacies or my, um, my shortcomings or my whatever. And sometimes that translates into uh, um, hostility. How dare you ask me this question? Let's, let's just suppose that you're in a Zoom room and you're asking students, raise your hand if you have access to, let's just say Wi-Fi. You're gonna get 100% of the students put their, put their name up to say, I have Wi-Fi access. But what they're not gonna tell you necessarily is that the Wi-Fi is unstable, depending on what time of the month it is, because there are places and there are uh, Wi-Fi plans where you have more Wi-Fi bandwidth at the start of the month than you do at the end of the month because it cycles around. So now we're talking about it is a, let's say September 26th. I might have Wi-Fi in a few days, but I ran out because I've got five people using Wi-Fi in my home. And remember, it's about um, having resources available. And so, you know, we have students that, uh, um, we've seen images of students having to go to McDonald's and other locations. We just saw, uh, we saw um, there was this young girl, I think it was in, it was in California. I can't remember what town it was. She and her sibling were outside of the, the Wendy's, I think it was, getting Wi-Fi to do their homework. And that's what access looks like. So we need to think about what kinds of questions we're asking. How are we asking it? What venue are we asking it for? of our students and are we listening to what they're telling us? Student might say, yes, I have Wi-Fi, but you have to go deeper with your questions. So I would employ everyone to go deeper with the question so that we can provide the resources to students. Do you have Wi-Fi? Yes, I do. Do you have Wi-Fi uh, uh, all month long? Are you sharing Wi-Fi? How stable is your Wi-Fi service? So you we can do our job by just asking the top level question. And in student services, I often told my staff, you have to go deeper. 
You have to ask that next right question. Because if you don't, you won't get the answers that you need. Only solve the top problem, which isn't truly the problem. Right, right. You know, so much of what you're saying is just very much resonated with, you know, my experience of having students who are learning in their car. Um, Many people have chatted in about the students sitting, like you said, outside of a Wendy's or McDonald's. Um, Some students are learning in our parking lot because the Wi-Fi reaches out um, to that parking lot. Um, It's hard to be camera on when you're in um, a vehicle with your grandmother sitting next to you because you don't drive, um, you know, and, and that's really embarrassing um, for um, students. So, and I really love your message of listening to our students. I, I feel like sometimes, you know, having been a college administrator on those decision-making teams, we, we are so desperate for answers, right? That we react quickly, which is important, but we don't always, we think we know the answer, but we haven't really taken the time to, to listen to our student experience. And um, yesterday I had a chat with a faculty member whose child is in college and was sharing about the cognitive load. This child is taking a chemistry class and has to have two Zoom screens open and a textbook. And they have the privilege of being able to provide multiple screens so a student can survive in this Mm -hmm. chemistry class Mm -hmm. the stress of doing that um but and they have the privilege of having those resources and i think how in the world if you're operating off your phone because it's the only thing that has wi-fi data how 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 are you how are you doing it exactly so are there are there, does that segue into, and I'm cognizant we're a few minutes over, and if it's okay, I'd, I'd like to um, get to continue our conversation. And um, if, if one o'clock is an okay stop time for folks, I, I hope that'll, one o'clock Eastern. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, right, I just don't wanna um, be, be, yeah, um, somebody's chatted in too about student Zoom fatigue in our rural areas. Um, I teach rural students, they cannot be on a, Zoom. They, they don't have the bandwidth to mm-hmm. show their faces in class. Um, tell so me Maggie, about- I jump in and just ask, ask the group here, as you're starting to problem solve, how do we address the needs of our students of color? How do we look at this, this um, online support and what we need to do to put it in the framework of like three categories to first start with what problem are we trying to solve? And the reason why I ask that that is so important is sometimes we create a plan for something, but it's not really solving the problem. So, for example, when we say we're going to like offer Chromebooks to everybody, okay, which is great, but is, is having a Chromebook the problem or is it having the ability to understand how to use a Chromebook and how to, and having all the software loaded and how to address when you have a problem with your Chromebook, like Denise was ready to come to my rescue thinking I was having Wi-Fi issues. Thank you, Denise. Um, But these are, so to, when you think of the first strand, what problem are you trying to solve? Once you identify that, then you come up with whatever that intervention is going to be. 
And once you decide whether that is a, a training or whether, you know, I, I think of the, you know, uh, um, resources, you know, the human resource need, the technology resource need, the fiscal resource need, you know, whether it's a training issue, what resources do we need to put in place to solve that problem? And then the third part of that piece is you have to collect data. I don't believe we have done a good job, and I'm going to just say this, in collecting data this year. What we know is that many colleges, and you mentioned Meg, and I know Denise knows as well, and those on the line, we're seeing 25% of our students not coming back. What is the issue? What is the problem? So we've got to, that is what we know is happening. What is the problem? We've got to get in there and do a deep dive to find those students. And there are ways to find the students. We know where they live. Now that's not to say that we want to put students, we want to put our, our faculty and our staff in harm's way with this COVID because it's so deadly, but we've got to find a way. Many colleges have um, uh, student clubs and organizations and or um, um, special population type of uh, like um, uh, African-American women of color, um, uh, Amahi, different kinds of programs, we have to be able to reach out to them to find these students because they know where they are. They didn't just up and move. Nobody's moving. Now, the question is, you know, are, are, do they have what they need? You know, I want to think about Maslow's hierarchy also. We mm-hmm. have that bottom band down there. If our students don't have the basic needs, we cannot expect them to be, I saw a, a, a an image where, you know, we have to cover Maslow's hierarchy before we can get to Bloom's taxonomy. So if we don't get these things taken care of, our students aren't going to learn. And so when we think about our students of color and and how COVID is impacting them, we've got to make sure that we have solved those needs down there in order to help our students progress. But the real issue is we can't afford to keep losing our students. This is when you stop and think about a student that signed up for, let's say, an 18-week class, and they drop out, uh, you know, nine weeks later, and then they retake that class. That means they spent 27 weeks in the same class, 27 weeks trying mm-hmm. to the same class. Then you couple that with another drop. Well, you just you just keep expanding on that exponentially with the number of weeks it takes these students to get through one class. And if it were your child, if it were your son or daughter or your niece or nephew, it would just not be okay. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to look at that. We've got to figure out how to, how to address those, those needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to, to um, share an idea, a thought. You know, I was talking about making sure we are solving the problem and uh, not putting in place what we think it ought to be. I'm going to give you an example of my daughter. Um, <laughs> when I go shopping or would have gone shopping, of course, shopping is off limits now, uh, like it was, but I would find the cutest pair of pants or the nicest dress or whatever it was. Oh, I'd love to give it to her. And this is wonderful. And I will buy it. And I would mail it to her, which by the way, my daughter's there with you, um, Meg, she's in Virginia, actually uh, in Charlottesville, but I'll chat with you about that offline. Um, at any rate, um, so I would mail it to her and she, she finds <laughs> said to me, mom, stop buying me things. Stop. I'll let you know what I need. 
And I had to listen to that because I wanted to give, to be a giver and give her what I thought she needed, but it wasn't. She didn't want six coats. She only wants three. And when she gets done with one, she gives it to the shelter. You know, she donates it. She has probably six pairs of jeans because she doesn't need a whole, you know, and I was forcing my stuff on her. And I want you to think about this when you're thinking about your students. Are you forcing what you think they need, what you think they want, and not really taking the time to listen to what it is that they really do need? Or when they do tell you, are you tuning it out? Are you saying, no, I know best? You know, so, so take the time to pay attention to them. And I also want to point out that this year here, 2021, is our year to get this right for our students. We are in as I said, this is the next humanitarian crisis. This is the next form of discrimination when our students of color are missing out on the very same things that students who have access and equity and privilege have. So we need to be thinking about that. So I I read the most interesting piece about um, it was specifically around community college enrollment numbers and what institutions are doing. And it was Maricopa, which is out there in your state, um, and how they hadn't, um, I think, I'm hoping I'm quoting this correctly, but that they hadn't really asked the questions, why are students leaving, seeing large numbers of students leaving? And that when they reached out to do that exit interview, kind of after the fact, what they found was that those connections they didn't realize how critically important that was. We can create all these tech things. We can have amazing websites and, you know, chat 24 seven with a counselor, but students needed to be able to see somebody look them in the face. And, and I know that's, um, I know that's continuing to be a struggle, but hopefully as we are having vaccine rollout and Sylvia, we had a really fascinating um, conversation before you hopped on around um, vaccinations and um, how we can help educate our students of that, particularly um, given the medical history of racism in our country. Um, I know that's a particularly important and tender topic at the same time. Yes. Are there any, we, we've, we're going over and I know some people are hopping off and thank you um, for those of you who've been able to listen and we will post this up on our website um, so that everyone can hear the entire recording. Um, there was a question uh, that somebody had had earlier about specifically supporting first generation students. And so I was wondering just in our last five minutes or so, if, if there's anything around um, our first gen students that you're seeing that's being particularly um, helpful, I think, we're, yeah. we're very struggling. Um, I, thank you for that question, Meg. I think uh, one of the things that I'm seeing with our first gen students is uh, goes goes back to the connections. We have to really make sure that we put in place a connector, uh, someone that that student can go to, because they're going to, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a person who is an employee of the college, it can be a peer. But we uh, are setting up structures where first-gen students have a peer to connect with. Because we really don't have the bandwidth to have every single employee connect to every single student. But what we can do, if you think of the six degrees of separation and those kind of tentacles down, is to set up mechanisms such as... um, 
success teams. So I'm, I'm seeing success teams as a, as a key strategy for helping uh, all of our students, but again, our first-gen students. And I want to go back to what I said initially. When you think about how you help students of color, you're really helping everybody. How you help first-gen students, you're really helping everybody. So if we were to set, you know, colleges that are setting up those um, uh, student success team models where students belong to a, a, a team, a team of people. And in that team, it includes employees, but it also includes students, students. mentors, uh, but it's a structured mentor. I think we use the word mentor as this kind of global catch-all, but we have to be strategic in how we design it and, and reasonable in our expectations. And also we have to give a platform and a space for our students to be able to talk to each other, especially in COVID. Um, I haven't seen yet where students are, are where they're doing um, Zooms like that, but I, I'm sure they are. I, I would imagine that they are. Um, but those are the kinds of things that I believe we can do to help our first-gen students, looking at those success team models and the mentoring, the connections. We've got to get those, and it's got to be early on. Awesome. What a great, an, an important connection, because I know that when I've set up student programming like that, mentorship, students ask fellow students questions they are never going to ask me. Exactly. Um, and, and that's such a, a critical um, piece to that um, connection, engagement, and then ultimately retention. Um, this has been this has been an incredible discussion. And Sylvia, I don't know if you can see our chats, but basically they're all begging you to come back. <laughs> so, and I'm going to join my voice in that um, and say, yes, please. Um, we would be so honored to, I feel like we've just begun. It's a tip of an iceberg, right? Um, and I don't want to use that, but, but that's not a good metaphor, but such a, an important critical topic and, and such a timely one. Um, I think it's always been a timely discussion. I feel like 2021, our year of love, listening and leadership um, I'm going to hold on to that, and um, I'm going to quote you. I hope that's okay. Um, Absolutely. Because we, Denise has been on enough with us that, you know, we believe very strongly in, um, in examining the world of higher education from a what can we do perspective and building people up. Um, I don't want to use overuse the word positive because there are lots of things that are not positive about the work we do, but coming mm -hmm. at it from a place of, um, we can work together and we can make big things and important things happen. So, so I am just I can so. touch base real quick. And it might be a, a, another strategy of the Friday of the five would be to look at a particular area of student services, let's say um, admissions and records, and to really dive deep into how can we address are the areas of admissions and records to really be sensitive to our students of color, all mm -hmm. students to address these needs of the 25% of students that are, are not returning. Mm -hmm. So that Friday five kind of gives a, um, a slant in, in certain areas, financial aid, that's a whole nother category. Oh, yes. What are we right. doing there? Um, and sometimes we have to be willing to ask, uh, to be willing to request a, 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 a um, a waiver. We, we think that because it's this way, this is the way it's, it has to be. We've created the barriers nine times out of 10 ourselves. Yes. Yes. 
Well, um, with that, uh, Elizabeth has asked about um, mental health tech resources. Beautiful segue, because next week, Denise is going to join us to talk about technology support. Um, and I'm, I'm confident, I haven't asked Denise this, but I am confident there'll be a mental health component Absolutely. to our conversation. Absolutely. So um, please yeah. join us next um, Friday at, at, 12, um, at 12 Eastern for that conversation. There is a, um, a survey that pops up at the end of our, our conversation today. So please do fill that out because it helps inform um, the time that we have together. And, and Sylvia will work offline to make sure that we get to continue what's Thank the beginning you. of, I think, a really um, just important yeah. conversation. I am so grateful for, for you today. Um, you have just really, you have inspired so many thoughts um, that I'm going to carry with me um, into my work next week. So thank you. And I apologize to everyone again for the time. No, no apologies needed. Um, just know how grateful we are for you. So fantastic. Sylvia. always love it. Thank oh you. Gosh. Thank you so much. Everyone take care. Have a wonderful weekend. I hope everyone finds time for rest and renewal this weekend. It's so important to do. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.